Hi everybody, welcome back to the Watch Gecko Time to Unwind podcast. And uh, well, we do like to spoil you and today it is a very special one because we have not one, not two, not three, we have four authors sitting around the table. We hardly ever get in the same room together, but here we are. So welcome Anthony, Martin and George. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much, Richard. So now what we thought we'd do is we'd just have a fairly banal chat about watches. Hopefully you'll stay with us. Just for a change, yep. Just for a change. No muppetry? <laughs> yeah, no muppetry yet. Yeah. So the first thing is, because obviously this is the first chance we've all had to chat uh, to our esteemed audience together, is perhaps a little bit of how we got into watches. So we pass the port to the left and Anthony's sitting to the left of me. We don't have any port, by the way. Anthony's sitting to the left. shame we don't have any port. Well, how did nice. I get into watches? Well... I can't think of one specific moment that flicked a switch for me. I mean, I know that you, you do have one moment, but there wasn't such a thing with me. Uh, several members of my family, notably my uncle, were watch collectors. And I guess from a young age, I always sort of admired them. And then I was sort of like given some proper watches of my own and spent hours and hours become fascinated, fascinated with them, really. And it just all really sort of grew on from there. Um, you know, sort of career-wise, I ended up in the, the car world and uh, obviously sort of um, cars and watches go together very well. Very so, well, don't they? So, uh, um, yeah, spent a lot of time um, uh, surrounded by cars and watches. And I guess it all grew in a very organic way. Um, I'm sorry, I'd love to say that there was a, a light bulb moment that, you know, Climbed a mountain and wanted to know what time it was. Looked at my wrist and found there was nothing there. So thought I need a watch, um, but it wasn't like that at all. It was just a sort of slow and gradual appreciation okay. for these wonderful things that we have in our wrists. Okay. Well, I'm really sorry you didn't make up a really good story about mm-hmm. climbing a mountain because yeah, that would have been really good. Time, no. well, we've just hemorrhaged a hundred listeners. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what really happened. It was definitely the time when I was right wrestling with a bear and I managed to sort of smash its face in with the watch I was wearing. Oh, because you happen to have read that James. <laughs> Novel. <laughs> so that's the moment that I got to watch ah, it. So I really this is what we wanted to get to. <laughs> well, I think, thank you for that. Um, Martin. Okay, you, you mentioned James Bond there. I think I'll segue into that one then quickly. Um, big Bond fan I am. Um, my father took me to see Live and Let Die in 1973 at the, a cinema in Somerset. And uh, anyone who's seen the film will realise in some, one of the opening scenes, Bond has a, a Rolex Submariner. Um, which is magnetised, has various uh, various uh, gadgets thrown into it by Q, um, one of which is the magnet, um, which he uses to um, remove a, uh, a spoon, I understand, back onto the, onto the magnet itself, and a lady's zip um, whilst I'm undressing it. Um, so, yeah, the watch was pretty amazing to me at the time, um, and I think that's what probably inspired me at the age of seven. See um, how that would have left a big impression. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do Rolex still offer that as an accessory? Or? No, but I have seen the watch. Possibly, oh, yes, yeah. indeed, yes. Is that the Christie's? Yeah. The Christie's one, yeah, same here. Um, I think it went for silly money. in the Yeah, right, because it had no movement inside no movement it, did it? All. And it was, it was purely, all, all at an angle. Yeah, purely a dummy. It was just, because it, it had the... The bezel that spun as a... spinning spinning bezel, yeah. yeah. Which again was used at the end of the film for Bond to escape from a precarious situation. So that was, a, I think that was the start for me. Um, my dad himself was always into watches and he um, acquired a, a lovely Seamaster in 1959, I think it was, whilst on shore leave in Hong Kong. Um, 
And again, I've written about this in one of the early blogs. So go ahead and re reread that one if you wish. We'll but, do a link um, to that at the bottom somewhere. Yeah, yes, good. Um, so yeah, I think that was my start. So when I was very young and it's taken off a bit more, I got a bit older and I became a bit of a watch nerd thereafter. And we love you for it. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. George. Yeah, so probably a bit like Anthony is in that I didn't have a specific trigger when I started mm. to sort of fall in love with watches really, but the first watch I ever received was my, my granddad's um, when he passed away. I, it passed down to me. It was just a, just a standard rotary quartz, um, gold-plated. And ever since then, really, I was always interested in watches, but not to the degree I am now. I think as I got into my early teens, I got into it a little bit more again. And then I'd probably say over the last three or four years, that's when I started dipping my toes into eBay and buying this and buying that. And then it's just gone downhill since then, basically. <laughs> or uphill, whichever way you want to look at it. Depends on which member of the family you talk to, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we've all had that problem, haven't we? It, it becomes a bit of a an obsession, is it mm. the word? Yeah. Yeah, a healthy one. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, like, I mean, there's other things that you could be obsessed with. Well, yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I often think that, yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah, as I often yeah. say to my wife, if this is the... The worst thing I do in life is have my nose pressed against the, the glass on the Tudor boutique. Yeah. It's not really a bad thing. <laughs> it's not the yeah. end of the world, is um, it? could no. be a lot worse. Well, from my side, it was, um, I think I mentioned briefly off mic, I uh, was um, in Oman as a, a young um, baby foreign office officer, and uh, I had a 30-meter watch, and I went snorkeling with a friend. And in my unbelievable, now it seems naivety, I thought that a 30-meter watch could, of course, go down to 30 meters. It didn't. I came up with what amounted to a fish tank on my wrist that was full of water. And he said to me, you need to buy a decent watch, lad. And I went out and I bought a Seiko. Uh A Seiko, which we've just done a feature on. I have uh, been reading it. Which you saw this morning. Absolutely. Uh, and this Seiko has been with me forever. And it, w- it was a watch that had a huge impact on me because, like yourself, Martin, I am a huge James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. And the scene that always that I remember is in The Man with the Golden Gun. Mm-hmm. You remember there's a shop, it, it, it's either in yeah. Hong Kong or it's some yeah. Southeast Asian place where a guy makes bespoke rifles. That's right. Remember? Bangkok. Yeah, It's in Bangkok. There you go. Yeah. And there's a scene where Bond's in a doorway opposite and he pulls back his cuff and he's got his Submariner on. Yeah. I couldn't afford a Submariner. But I just remember watching the hands sweep. Yeah. And the Seiko 5 at this shop in Oman was Mm. the best I could do at the time. And more than anything, the reason we've written about this watch now is it was the first time I'd ever had luminescence on a watch. Was it the first automatic you had as well? Absolutely. First first automatic, automatic, yeah. yeah. And the first time I'd ever had loom. And I remember waking up at know, four in the morning, whatever, and seeing the watch glowing back at me. This is 1989. It was a revelation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. First absolutely. watch with a script in Arabic as well. It was, yes, because it's called the Sultan. It's got uh-huh. the date in Arabic as well. So, I mean. Do you still have that, Richard? I have. In fact, it's next door. Brilliant. Having photographs taken of it mm. by Alison Co. Excellent. And there's a feature we've written up, and it's we we we've written it. It's going to be my my first proper watch. So, how many of us around the table still have access to our first proper watch? Hundred percent. I do indeed. Unfortunately, it's not working. A Timex, uh, Timex hand wound, but I still have right. it. You still got it. Would you class 
Are we classing quartz as a first? Yeah. Oh, it's got to be oh, automatic. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, first proper yeah, watch. Still got, yeah. yeah, still first proper watch. Yeah, still got it then. So I've got, yeah. well, two first proper watches because, like, by first proper watch, I guess you could sort of like, um, the first watch I sort of bought with my money that actually had hands was a Swatch back in the 80s. <laughs> actually, and, hands. Um, what actually had hands. Well, they had digi- they had digital, <laughs> oh, right. digital sort of like numbers. You know, as a kid, you go around I wearing. I just this empty dime. No, 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 no. no. I, wasn't, well, I wasn't wearing an avant-garde Moser when I was like uh, in uh, my pre-teens. No, no. What, 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 what I meant by that. What those ones that um, we... <laughs> It was Mario, the ones that Mario found in Watches and Wonders that we did a feature on that you couldn't tell the time oh, something on. Something ridiculous. Was that a Moser or no? The, I can't remember what the name was now. A Moser did one that was on. quite silly. So the first sort of proper watch with hands was, was a Swatch. Yeah. And, and then I was given um, another watch, which was um, an Omega with proper, you know, proper, proper watch. So, yeah, yeah, I've got, um, I've got my first two proper watches. Mm. Would you get yours fixed, Martin? Would you? Yeah, get I think I would. Yeah, I think I, I think would. You just, should, for, yeah. just for the sake of it. Yeah, oh, that's, I mean, sorry, that's where that's where I was going. I've still got it, but the swatch, the buckle's broken, so I can't wear it. Yeah. I still have. Got if it. only you knew people in a strap company. <laughs> Do you know what? If only I knew people in a strap company. <laughs> what, what's the, what's the problem with yours, Martin? It's just I think the movements kaput. Right. It's overwhelming, probably yeah. not ideal right. to give to a. A five-year-old is a hang wang watch, really. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you learn. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, on a similar tangent, is that, um, and it's something I don't know if you guys be interested to experiment with, and whether or not the audience would this would resonate with them. Um, some time ago, we decided to let me buy my Grail watch as part of a watch gecko exercise. Until we realised, of course, I couldn't actually afford a 1968 Rolex Explorer 1. It just wasn't going to happen. I thought I missed that episode. But yeah, now right. Mm. Yeah, because it never happened. That's why. This is going to be interesting. How come I've never seen it? (laughs) Yeah, where is this mysterious Rolex that I never bought? And so what we did was we came up with a really, we thought at the time was a really cool plan. And and I'd throw this out to everybody who's listening to us just now as a concept. To buy the year of your birth watch, but of the first watch you had that meant something to you. And this I did manage to do because the very first watch I was bought by my parents was a Timex Mercury. And as the resident space geek, the name always resonated with me because obviously we're not far off the Mercury capsule era. I mean, I was born before we landed on the moon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mercury and Gemini we're still very much in the public imagination. So I set out to find the 1968 Timex Mercury, which is featured a few times in, uh, in articles here. And I was very lucky. I found a mint condition one that had been refurbished. Now, Timex were all made in America, but some were made in Dundee. And it was... The Timex set up in, in, in the 60s a facility in Dundee to service British Timexes. And then they let Dundee make a few as well. So I really wanted to find a 1968 Timex Mercury with Great Britain written on the dial. Found a beautiful one. I mean, genuinely mint condition. Hand wound. It's got the V-conic escapement, which was at the time their parashock equivalent. Um, and at the time, also they were making at the same time the Marlin, which was the waterproof mm. one. Take a stab at the price. Um, actually, 
actually knew this. So, um, but I can't remember. Well, that would have ruined the whole game, wouldn't it? Um, but I can't remember. I've got a vague idea. Um, it was cheap, and I thought. Oh, I don't know. I really, really don't remember. I, I knew it as well because I recently yeah. featured it. Let's ask Martin. Let's ask Martin. Let's ask Martin. When you say you mean the new, the, you know, take the, 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 the price I bought it for in this condition, mint refurbished. Ebay purchase. Uh, eBay purchase. Yeah, and also bear in mind it was a Timex Great Britain Dundee model as opposed to the much more prolific American. Right. Talking around about the hundred pound mark then. That's a good guess, but you're miles out. Forty five pounds. I had in my mind thirty five. Well I wish it had been. But <laughs> I like I your think, mind. But I think yeah, I was but, forgetting the four. Yeah. So I mean to me it's my it, strong point. It was just one of these great finds that I still love wearing, and I think that would be a really fun exercise mm. for the rest of you guys Every, to do. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. a crack at that. Yeah. yeah. To find a really good exact what your favorite you know, your year of your birth. Yeah. Which isn't that hard to find. None of us are that old. Mm. Um, <laughs> none of us except for Martin are that old oh. but um, the not it doesn't have to be the first you know the first watch you had but I think what a beautiful fe- series of features and video podcasts we could do mm. on a great watch from the year of your birth but obviously making it cost effect we're not talking about going out and buying Rolex and Mariners here no. unless you want to in which case go for it well that's what I was going to actually say to you guys with me being a little bit younger. <laughs> I'm not sure what I would go for for my birth year. Watch. What year were you born? 97. So I'm not really sure what. Was one name leaping to mind straight away for me? Well, I thought vintage, like Omega Seamaster, but still, it's not really in a in that budget. There, there is only one classic 90s brand, and it's written on Max Verstappen's Formula One outfit. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tag Heuer. Yeah, tag, yeah. It's the era of tag, yeah, the yeah. 90s. It is, well, yeah. do you know what? It's so funny because I think you, were, you you just stepped out. We were talking, myself and Martin were talking earlier about brands and watches which are sort of iconic from certain eras. And what we were saying was that you can really sort of spot a 70s watch, you can spot an 80s watch. And then mm. we were saying you can definitely spot a 90s watch. And yeah. In fact, we, we said tag Heuer, mm. which is funny. But then we got a little bit lost from 2000 onwards. You know, what does a 2000s watch look like? What does a 2010s mm. watch look like? And ah. uh, that's probably a different subject for a different day. This would day. make a different conversation um, because we're right into the conversation yeah. George and I had the other day about the fact that we think any Breitling over 2000 yeah, has bit, lost its Yeah, a bit, it's a bit yeah. naff. I'd say it, no. You're right. It's, it's, it's so anything pre two thousand for Breitling mm, is yeah. striking. It's militaristic. It's exciting. After that, mm. so no, hundred percent. I'm with Richard. The Tag Heuer is the quintessential. That um, would be the maybe, that's next, maybe that's next on the list. Yeah. And, that um, would be a really good your quest mm. for 2024. Yeah, with a, a guy. 1997. Yeah, ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mind you, I think I'll have a bit of a job the year of my birth finding a nineteen seventy four Swatch. If anyone's got one, let me know, but I think that's going to be yeah. hard. So how much did you pay for your tag, Night Diver? Oh, that was a very good question. Because um, that's a classic 90s a classic. watch, because Timothy Dalton had it yeah. on in Living Daylights. Uh, so, I don't remember. It wasn't a lot. I'd have to look it up. It wasn't I seem to remember was. you said it was about 700-ish. Um, or even maybe a little bit maybe less than less. that. Yeah, it was, maybe even less. Yeah, maybe even less than that. Was, I thought, I how long ago did you purchase that, Anthony? About three and a half years ago. Mm. And it's absolutely stunning. We've got it featured it's, a couple it was, of times. It was either it's a little really bit beautiful. It's, it's a it's Tag One Thousand series. You know their yeah, Submariner yeah, equivalent. Yeah. Of. That's a birth year one, is it? That one? It's not. No, no, no. no. 
It's but it would be a really um, good birthday yeah, yeah. one for George. Yeah. I wish it was, because it was made in the late 80s. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man, that's ancient history for some of us. I'd love to have that as my right, birthday so. watch, but I would be being a massive fraud. <laughs> wow. So that's it. That's how we all got into watches yeah. and our birth year watches. Yeah.